0: Welcome to Church Sound Podcast, a place where church audio techs can learn and grow in their ministry. I'm Samantha Potter. I'm your host, and I'm an audio engineer and editor with Pro Sound Web. Today we welcome Chris Huff. Chris has been working in audio for over 25 years, and is one of the minds of Behind the Mixer, which has been going strong for over 10 years. They've got a Facebook group, a podcast, a website—you name it, they've got it. Welcome to the show, Chris. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, I would say I first... Well, first, let me say it's just great to be on your podcast. But I started as a freshman in college running audio. What happened was I was at a church that had... I mean, their sound system literally was the pastor had a microphone. And then in a hallway, there was a black box with a knob on it.
2: And uh, that was one single knob. Control.
1: Exactly. And so, uh, you know, within a year... They, Church went through a renovation. They got their full, you know, pro audio sound system, if you want to call it that. I mean, it was mm. one of the, if I say a, a Mackie 24 channel yeah. mixer, everybody who's been in here for a long time just can picture that mixer. Right, um, right, But they had nobody with any experience. And I happened to be in one day looking at the mixing board. I've always loved music. And uh, Church Deacon, I will never forget. It was uh, Bill Manifold. He come up to, came up to me and said, you're good with computers. Uh, you can do this, and okay. so um, I didn't quite catch the yeah uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but but that's really how it started. And I ran into him maybe five years ago, and I and and he was a uh, actually one of my middle school teachers. And I told him that what he did in that one little moment, I ended up having this website and teaching all these people and doing one-on-one yeah. teaching. And he just he was so happy to to see that as as an educator.
0: It's amazing what, you know, the butterfly effect, like what one small thing can send you down a completely different path. If I think too far back, you know, in my career and just in my life, uh, what what small thing could have landed me someplace entirely different? Uh, that's I, that's always fun to hear. For those of you that don't know, Chris has been a longtime contributor with Pro Sound Web and Church Sound Magazine specifically, and I really could not think of a better guest to help kind of kick off this brand new podcast so, Chris, you kind of told us just a little bit of how you sort of began here. Like, what kind of drew you more specifically into the house of worship side of audio?
1: Oh, you know what? Really looking at all the different aspects of it. And I've had friends who who did the uh, pro side and they were doing the touring concerts and all of that. You know, there, there's plus and minuses to both sides. For me, by the time I really got into it, I would say sort of hardcore, it wasn't until after I was married in a way, settled down. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea of you know, gigging on the road was just not going to happen. But then it's like, well, care, okay, there local places I can can go and you know mix in a house, whatever. And yeah. you. But when it came down to it, I just honestly loved working in the whole house house of worship feeling, or you know, realm mm-hmm. because doing that, I'm this connection in a way between. The congregation and the people on the stage, yeah. And so you know, the two of them. I mean, really, the congregation should be able to focus everything, all their attention, on what's going on up front. And mm-hmm. the people up front should be able to focus all of their attention on doing whatever it needs that they're doing, whether they're you know leading prayer or song or right, you know, preaching. But it's hard to do that. If in the back of your mind, you're you're thinking, you know what? I really hope the sound guy doesn't give me feedback again like he did last week.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely.
1: So just being able to be in that role where I can support both of those people
2: mm-hmm.
1: and just it, watching, I tell you what, watching a congregation worship it, and knowing that you're a part of that, there's just, there's just no greater feeling.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, you mentioned that it's just like, you know, well... I guess kind of let me let me back up a little bit. Uh, I kind of fell into House of Worship work. It was I had been doing, you know, way back when I graduated high school, I had been a musician for years and I was into computers. So the recording industry seemed like a really good like blend of these two things. And I did studio work for a couple of years and I just kind of did a random live sound gig just so I could have appreciation for the other side of the coin. Mm. And uh, I ended up like totally falling in love with it. Abandoned my studio work and just kind of like dove headfirst into live sound. Um, Shortly after that is like me and um, a former production person at at a large church here in Kansas City uh, had a professor in common at a local college and this person needed more tech help. The professor knew I had experience from all my studio stuff and gave my name and that. And now it's been like six or seven years um, and it just kind of it was just some random little side job. And I, I wasn't even particularly Religious uh until I got involved in house of worship work, and then my like spirituality actually super developed, but yeah you know, we can that's another conversation that's awesome yeah um but I, same as you, I'm kind of like I'm drawn into this house of worship work because it really feels so much different than the rest of the industry like uh I love being at home, I love coming home, and so touring has like just never really been. On my mind, uh, it takes a lot of energy and you can't really have like a it's really hard to have like a home life and do that classic sort of American thing with the white picket fence. Right. Can't, can't really do that. And I also have a dog. And so uh, they don't like being left alone for very long. But House of Worship was this like this ultimate place where you could go and like do work on like really boutique boards and do really important work, and everybody that, at least that I've worked with, like, we're all headed in the same direction, and that's so different from, like, corporate or from touring or clubs. Like, everybody is kind of facing in the same direction, if that makes sense.
1: Oh, totally, totally. It was kind of funny you mentioned the the music piece, because, I mean, as a musician, I started out, well, no, let's see, what was it? Maybe, I don't know, five, six years into mixing, I got to the point to where I was at a church and one weekend I would be on stage playing rhythm guitar. The next weekend I would be running sound. Mm. And every week it was back and forth and back and forth. And I just got to the point where I was like, okay, I have to pick one. And which one do I really feel like I'm called to do?
0: Right. Which one can you do the best? Which one do you feel kind of led towards? Like, yeah, I totally get it.
1: Yeah. And so that's kind of where I, where I ended up, but it is funny when we talk about uh, the pro side of things and and comparing the two, you know, I, I've seen people say, you know, oh yeah, church sound, but that's just, you know, that's nothing compared to what, you know, what we do. Right. And it's like, you know what, I'll bet we probably have more high dollar equipment or equal than Mm -hmm. what you do. And guess what? You know, a lot of us are putting out that, that same level of quality work.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of churches i've done work at have like several digicos on campus like not just one but like multiple ones they're not all like run down run down like analog boards like right um the it's people um you know aren't aren't completely uh woke to the idea of working in a church but i think uh between our work over at Press and Web and and yours for, with behind the mixer, like I, I hope that we're kind of changing the minds of people because it's like kind of a super sweet gig. I, I almost feel bad sometimes because it's like, like for instance, I don't think I work a single day without being thanked, like at least once, mm. and that's that never happens uh, anywhere else. And I, I love that. I love that people care. People care. So.
1: Well, and there's that ripple effect where we can say, you know, you write an article and one person across the world reads that and they benefit yeah. from that. But then so does their congregation. So you write one article and all of a sudden 200 mm-hmm. people are blessed.
0: Yeah, so, And with like, and that's one tiny little strain of, of what's happening. Like, uh, you know, how many, you you guys just hit a milestone on your Facebook group. Is that correct?
1: Yes. I think we hit 20,000 members. And yeah, we're probably talking of those, you know, realistically people say, well, but how many are really actively participating? Mm -hmm. I checked the stats. It's 18,000. Dang. Yeah. So, so we're a hopping group and that's only like a a half of the number of people that are on my newsletter list just because we've we've had that going on uh, much longer.
0: I mean, and you think of like, um, there's another Facebook group called like church sound and media text. They have like 60,000 people uh, in that group and you can just like you know, you make one post and hundreds of people see it, thousands of people see it. And who knows who they're, it's just like, it's crazy. If you, if you sit down and think about it too much, it's like, it's almost like you don't want to mess up uh, because (laughs) you all of a sudden, like your words like mean something like,
1: Oh yeah, exactly. And there's something about like being in this uh, authority, basically an authority figure. And all of a sudden you're, you know, you're measuring your words. But like when we first started our group, uh, just now it was maybe three, maybe four years ago. Uh, and it's, you know, of course taken off since, but mm-hmm. on that Facebook group, Brian and I started thinking, you know what? We get all these emails. It'd be great if we could just put it on Facebook in this way, you know, people can see common questions. So somebody would ask a question and, you know, sometime in the day, lunch, dinner, whatever, we could hop on, answer their question. And yeah. now somebody posts a question and, you know, you five minutes don't have time later, to
2: look
1: at it. No, you don't. People have already replied, answered, Problems are solved and, and they mm-hmm. move on. But that's the beauty I find of our Facebook group. Now ours is different from the, the church media tech only because ours focuses right. on audio and theirs is the whole yes. the whole group of production. But it's that idea of people need a community and there's a lot of audio techs just by nature. I think of predominantly being introverts mm-hmm. and just the job itself being very, um, I don't know, Is do you call it a, a a sound booth or is it your own little kingdom i mean it really right you know we're walled off from everybody else we usually like it that way Um, yeah but it's great to have that that community that we can
0: have absolutely i think the community aspect is um what keeps most of us in audio in general is the community like we're all going we'll kind of experience the same things you know whether it whether it be on tour or at church or whatever but we're all in this really weird field um and sometimes it's just really nice to talk about people who, who understand, I mean, like that community, community is great. So yeah, I totally get that. And so let's kind of segue just a little bit, you know, sort of what does it mean to work in church audio? And we've kind of, you know, it's sort of a, everything we've kind of talked about so far. I mean, for me, working in church audio is helping other people's ministries grow and reach more people, be more efficient. Like that's, I feel like that, that's my entire goal. That's what my work is about is helping other people do their work better.
1: I I would definitely agree with that. I think the hard part about that though, is there's a lot of unspoken needs and expectations. And Mm. that's what we have to sometimes work to find out what those are so we can then meet those.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just... I teach so much these days, either with our like our church sound university program, or like I go to other sound summits around the country and, and talk to students and, and church audio people. And I mean, just like the the kinds of, it keeps me very, very humble, first of all, hmm. but then also like tells me exactly where, where everybody else's minds are at. Um, like why they're doing it. Like watching, I was just in Atlanta, you know, uh, not too long ago and watching all these audio people worship was super mm. interesting cuz i've also never been <laughs> i've never <laughs> been in that scenario before so um and yeah so some of the questions that we were talking about with the, with this group of people was like you know how do we how do we communicate um with the musicians or with the um with the clergy or with the lay leaders, like how, how can we make sure that we're doing our jobs the best and and making sure they're getting what they need? Does that kind of make sense?
1: Oh, it totally makes sense. I think some of that comes from number one, dropping the technical talk. And people Mm. say, look, people ask me like, we really need to get, uh, let's say a a compressor on our mixer Mm -hmm. because we don't have that. We just have an analog board and yep. you know we've tried to talk to the church staff and explain that you know and then they immediately go technical. Yeah. And I say, well, what if you flip it around and say people are having a difficult time worshiping mm-hmm. because you know because the vocals are getting too loud right and there's and if we if we buy this piece of equipment it will help this and these people can return it's just looking at things in a different mindset and taking mm-hmm. off that 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 technical hat, if you would.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I think that kind of is part of the stigma against church work in, in for the rest of pro audio is because they think it's like really simple stuff. But from my experience in the last seven years or so, it's been, you actually have to know, understand these concepts a lot more because in order to communicate them or teach them Sunday to somebody else, like it, it's an entirely different ball game. Like I've met very talented engineers who like can't explain things on a simple level to save their life. Uh, or I'll go to a church and they'll have had a production company uh, install something. And they're like, yeah, they had a guy like show us stuff, but it was 10 minutes long and uh, oh. we didn't catch <laughs> most of it. And it's like, well, yeah, I, I can see why I'm here. Uh, and it's really just like things like, you know, what it what is gain? Every You know, everybody working right. in the field kind of, under like knows what gain is and how to use it, but like go and explain it to somebody in like a sentence or two. That's it's completely different,
1: right? Oh yeah, it's and I, but I think that the flip of all of that is that while we are there to serve these people and we do want to be using you know professional methods, best practices, all these different things, even though it's service, we still have to be able at any point when we have a request to say, no, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's the this thought of, well, look, you're, you're serving people, so you should say yes to everything. It's like, well, look, if I say yeah. yes to something and I know that means there's going to be a failure,
2: mm-hmm.
1: then it's wrong for me to say yes. And I'm going to have to to stand my ground on that. Unfortunately, fortunately, yeah. as long as I think you have a good experience with the pastor, the leadership, everybody involved, etc., that they're gonna they're gonna trust you when that comes up. But sometimes it's not saying no; it's saying, "Look, I can't do that, but let's look for alternatives."
2: Mm,
0: yes, absolutely. It's a uh, sort of almost like a compliment sandwich. It's like, oh, um, you know, this is going really well. Don't think that's a great idea, but if we do this, like it's gonna do have this effect, and it's gonna turn really cool. And I, yeah, it's all right. about your word choice uh, and how you're talking to these people. So what would you say are your most important tenets of church audio?
1: Oh gosh. Um,
0: I know. Tough question.
1: I, I want, honestly, I want to like all of a sudden, this is where it comes to. Well, let me just provide you with this huge 100 page document on all, all the tenets I believe, but I would have to, summarize those down into one and just saying it's about harmony. And this kind of mm. goes back to what we were saying. I and mean, I think the harmony is the good word for it. And that is, I mean, I'll, I'll just say me, for example, when I walk into the church, I want to know that the pastor's happy to see me, the mm. band's happy to see me. Anybody who's going to be walking up front is glad to see me because they know I will take care of whatever it is that they need yes, and they don't have to worry. Uh, But then I would probably take that to another step and say, there is a harmony between I, with the congregation, but it's not with the congregation and myself. The congregation needs to be in harmony with what's happening up front on stage.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: When that harmony is here, that is a sign that I'm doing all the right things
2: Mm.
1: because I, and I have been in in churches where I, I'm in, I'm not running sound every weekend, but I walk in one weekend and a prisoner comes up to me and says, Oh, glad you're running sound today. Right. And and that's where immediately I'm like, okay, Uh what's going on with these other people and how can I take my skills and mentor them? Yeah. To fix this. But that's, that's, that's to me is the harmony with everybody
0: hmm I like that. I like the idea of harmony. Uh and you can also swing it obviously into musicality pretty easily if you wanted to. Oh uh, yes. Yeah, I really like that. Do you have any other like you know you know absolutely important tenets of church audio?
1: Let's see. If you're on time, you're late. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like for one, like my biggest thing, my biggest tenet, I suppose, is having clarity in vocals and in uh speaking mics because if i can't understand if i'm walking off the street and there's like no lyrics on screen i need to be able to understand what's going on
1: right Um, right. otherwise
0: like i don't why are we here
1: yeah and i I would also say to people look know that there's a difference between hearing and listening because people yeah yeah, especially with um with the spoken word because people now with all the bands that are playing nothing wrong with that they're spending all their time trying to get those mixes right, but then when it comes mm-hmm. time to the spoken word, they don't do anything.
2: Right. But you have to it explain. It just sounds to- like
0: a box or something, yeah.
1: Exactly. You have to explain to people. And I mean, the number of times people have told me "In at their church, look, I can hear the pastor just fine, but I don't understand what he's saying. And mm-hmm. people need to understand, look, when you're mixing, there is an art to the spoken word as well, because not every yeah. pastor has that beautiful golden voice
0: yeah i would say that it that's the harder of the two pieces like it's pretty easy to like mask mistakes within uh, a music mix but right. when there's one one person standing up on stage with a lavalier like that's it that's what you've got and you're going to see every single Well, yeah. rather you're going to hear every single problem that's going on
1: yeah and also i would a biggie i would say is mix for the size of the room mm. and that that's yeah. anytime I, and you know how this goes. Anytime you say one thing immediately, you can think of a couple of instances where that doesn't apply. Yeah. But I would have to say, especially with the, with the spoken word mix for the room. Like I'm mixing in a room of the seats around 1400. And so I know what I can do with the vocal of the pastor. And that's more than what I could do with the vocal of a pastor in a small church. Mm-hmm. So a big room, I might add a little reverb to their voice if their voice just needs that little extra something. Mm-hmm. Not a lot. It's going to be minimal, but just enough to sometimes take an edge off. Right. But uh, somebody was telling me about at their church, they had somebody come in that was supposed to be great at running sound. And they they sat maybe 150 people. And they said everything was fine until the pastor went to speak. And they had so much reverb on his voice. Ew. It was, you know, like they're in some huge auditorium, you know, or yeah, exactly. Convention center or whatever.
0: Right, right. Uh, And like kind of total side note here with the effects thing. Like I hate it when people at at the board, like uh, in between songs and, you know, the worship leaders praying or what have you, and they completely mute all of the effects. Uh, It bothers me so Mm. much. Uh, It's like, wow, we were in this beautiful space and now they're like it's totally dead. I don't, it's, I've never done that. And I never understood why people like chose to do that. I I definitely fade the effects down, but I never take them completely out uh, because it feels so like disruptive to me, especially when we're in like the middle of worship and we're trying to let people sort of kind of forget where they're at. It's just like, Oh, let me just yank this cord out really fast or rip the carpet out. uh, And then you have to try to build it back up and, that's not fun. So, okay. Oh, that,
1: <laughs> that reminds me of another one, just to bring this up. Um, yeah. Because you've probably experienced this and you'll just shake your head. Is I remember the early days when uh, it was like every other week we had somebody doing quote-unquote special music. Which wasn't so special because they were doing it every other week. Um, mm-hmm. But that consisted of somebody walks up stage, uh, on stage to sing and the sound guy is running some accompaniment track. And the number of times I would hear the song... I mean, the person would end the song, the last few words of the song, and as the music would fade out, all of a sudden you'd hear this clunk,
2: mm-hmm. and it
1: was they were hitting stop on the cassette recorder, oh. and the music, instead of fading out, just died. Uh. Uh, yeah, and I'm like, no, no, it, it's all part. I think people don't understand that, that all of it, from beginning to end of a service, an event really, is a moment and a mood, mm-hmm. and you never want to... Break that up.
0: Yeah. No. Uh, I completely. I totally agree. Absolutely. Um. I'm with you. <laughs> um. So <laughs> let's. Okay. This is kind of a good segue. Let's try to get into some tech talk here. So, uh, last June we published a piece of yours called "Putting the Finishing Touches on Your Live Mix." I absolutely adored this piece, and I just kind of want to discuss, you know, further about mixes as we've kind of been leading into that. I'll add the link to the article in the description so everybody can go make sure they click on it and read it and enjoy it. But one of the first things you mentioned is about gain correction, Uh, setting the gain as correctly as possible, being a must. And you can't be afraid to do really slight gain changes if a musician or a pastor goes totally off course. And uh, you know how that is. Um, And you also talk about setting the fader at unity and adjusting the gain as appropriate. Can you kind of explain why you kind of choose this route over aiming for a particular spot in level and using the faders to more kind of classically mix?
1: Yeah, that's that's a a, a good question because it it I as I stutter here, <laughs> I get this question a lot because of making that statement several different times. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I ended up writing a really lengthy article on the different ways that you can do uh, gain structure. Mm-hmm. And let me start by answering your direct question of why do I, why did I do it that way? Or why do I do it that way? Yes. And that is if ideally I have all of my volumes coming in from the stage at a good solid level and I can set my gain to where I have everything at unity and I'm not hearing any line noise or having any problems with Mm -hmm. gain structure then what that enables me to do is if any time this is, will happen in a rehearsal, if it's going to happen, let's say I'm mixing a song, everything's fine. I go to the next song and I'm mixing and I just get to the point to where I'm frustrated and I feel like, okay, I've EQ'd everything as I can. I've done my volume balancing and I feel like something's different or you know, something, I just mm-hmm. can't, I'm stuck. And even mm-hmm. though it starts at Unity, I will then take those volumes and, and tweak them up and down. Um, right. But what it enables me to do is just say, I'm just going to do a reset. I'm going to reset my EQs. I'm going to put all of my faders back at zero. Right. And at this point, my mix of my music is, my volume balancing is close to what I want. But So it gives me a good starting point to start over.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's why I like that method, but that method only works when you have that unique scenario of everything coming in at the right volume. So for example when I have my guitarist who's sending me his signals through his Kemper unit,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. he's going to make sure that when he sends those to me, he's always sending me everything, every patch, every song change. He's sending me the same signal level. And it's a nice strong one. So I don't have to change per song, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That being said, if I go through and I try to do that, and it's obvious that i'm not getting that signal to noise ratio where i that i want where i want a very strong signal with very little noise if I, if i'm not getting that with that unity concept then i'll go through and i'll say okay <clears throat> excuse me i'll correct the gain to where it's that channel is giving me exactly what i need mm-hmm. and then in that case you know my fader's usually going to be what plus 5 Minus five, you know, in that range, maybe a bit more. I've seen others. I think it was uh, Dave Ratt who said he likes to look down at his volumes and see everything relative to how they should be in the mix. So if the bass should be loud, it's going to be obviously higher on his channel board.
0: Yep. That's kind of closer to how, how I mix. I try to aim for almost all of my channels to hit like about the same place, uh on as far as you know with the gain and the uh on the level of uh, the signal level. They're all about the same. And it usually ends up I know I've done a good job if all of my faders end up at around unity, you know, plus or minus five right. decibels or what have you. But that same kind of thing. Like I want to be able to look at my faders and and see a visual representation of what's I'm hearing. Uh mm. and so but there I mean there's no one is not more correct than the other. Like I, I've, there are really good reasons to do either style uh, of of gain adjustments, but it, it depends. It depends. <laughs> and I yeah. wish I had a more clear cut answer for everybody listening, but uh, you sort of have to play around and explore and figure out what what works best for you. You know, it matters if uh, you're also mixing monitors. It matters if you've got uh, a really how do, we, how do we say this? A really high feedbackable room. Um, mm, right, yeah. Your gain's out of whack and stuff like that. It just depends. So kind of just even just scrolling down on your article, then you talk about EQ changes. And I teach really heavily about contextual EQ, uh, being able to sort of zoom in and out and understanding that, yeah, we can make a lot of adjustments with EQ, but that doesn't necessarily fix the source problem. And we also need to understand, you know, if we solo something in our headphones and we can hear it and we can hear a problem, but making adjustments that way isn't going to give us the context with that right. music is happening in. So we make some changes based on the input itself, the musician, the mic, et cetera, uh, but not so much so that we lose sight of, like I said, all of the context, like the the band as a whole. So... In your piece, you discuss boosting and cutting. Uh, do you make these changes as individual inputs or in context?
1: Uh, it's going to be a combination of, of both. Typically, when I'm working on a Wednesday night rehearsal, mm-hmm. I'll uh, you know, in, in the first song, it's going to be saying, okay, in general, what do I want from each instrument, each vocal? Mm-hmm. A lot of times, uh, my vocalist is like, okay, I know this vocalist always has a problem in this range, so I apply a cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I'll, you know, basically what I'm doing is I'm trying to clean up all of my channels, get rid of those problem frequency areas mm, yeah. to say, what do I have left? What does that give me? And a lot of times that will give me, let's say, a great vocal mm-hmm. where, wow, if I would have boosted that, I still would have had this other problem. But just by cutting this out, right. then that's great but then I might go through and well and there's always the balance of saying okay who owns the low end is it the kick drum yeah. or is it the bass
0: what style of music so is it like i mean yeah
1: and that's where that cutting and boosting comes in is typically i will do most of my cutting up front the only the only caveat i would add to that is with my vocals i have some vocalists that i you know i've mixed them for so long I know that they usually need a boost in a certain range. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, Jason needs that 1.5 to 2.5 kilohertz boost. Right.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, I totally understand that. Like a lot of my vocal EQs sort of tend to end up looking the same um, because people have bad mic, you know, mic techniques. So it all tends to be like a cut out of that boxiness and things like that. But, you know, in general, I'm, Pretty against boosting EQs. Uh, I, your style is is very similar to mine. I prefer to carve out all the stuff that I don't want um, and get all the crud out rather than trying right. to like add something that probably isn't there anyway. But I appreciate your approach a lot. And there is times when I'm like, okay, like, you know, uh, acoustic guitars for sure. If I'm going to boost something, it's like it's usually the kick drum and the acoustic guitar. Because sometimes acoustic guitars just don't have that body uh, that we want. Right. And so I end up, you know, boosting at like 250 or or what have you.
1: Yeah. And I've, and I've also had times where I have said, okay, you know, what do I have going on in front of me? What am I not getting enough of? And now do I need to go and look at what's going on stage? Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, a, a drum mic was accidentally moved. Um, or it wasn't secure, so it moved on its own. I've seen that actually mm-hmm. happen during a service. That's always kind of oh, depressing yeah. to see that nice slow swing of an overhead mic. Um, and other times, it's just going up to the guitarist and saying, "Look, we've we've got to work on this." One of the best things I ever did when I would just been mixing for maybe five six years was I really didn't like the sound of this particular acoustic guitar on stage, and and the guy had one of the it was one of the early. Um, Uh, Line X pedal boards. Yeah, yeah. And and he thought it sounded great, but from...
0: I mean, they
2: all do, but...
1: Yeah, of course. But from the point of those in the sanctuary, it's like, no, it's not blending well. It sounds like this. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I said, okay, here's what we're doing. We're going to stay late after practice. I'm going to drag a cable all the way out into the middle of the sanctuary, and we're going to put you and your gear right here. And now you're going to set that pedal to what you think sounds good yes and it sounded so different to him and so much better just based on spatially where he was located yeah and it made mixing so much easier after that because no longer was i trying to boost these things that he didn't have or cut where i just couldn't um all of a sudden is was exactly what i need so i always say you know start on stage if you need to oh
0: yeah oh yeah absolutely get it at the source if you can adjust the mic or swap a mic Or uh, have a conversation with the musician, which is a question. Like I get, rather, that's an answer I end up giving a lot. Is somebody will ask me, um, you know, how do I fix a a singer who keeps singing flat? And it's like, you can't do anything, (laughs) um, but you can have a conversation with them. Or you know, the drummer isn't isn't staying on beat. Yeah, you need to like go talk with them because you're not going to do anything. All we're doing is amplifying and balancing these things and so literally anything outside of that like a conversation probably needs to happen
1: yeah and I, in fact i was just talking with my uh, worship pastor the other week about that and i was saying hey you know what in that situation you know how should a sound person handle this now fortunately our band i can talk to everybody mm-hmm. um, but just with the wider audience i just wanted to say what did you think and just look if you've got a great relationship with a person if you know them and you know they're going to be open mm-hmm. go talk to them but if there's not even a little bit of that or should i say a lot of that he said then go to the worship leader and say this is what i'm noticing it's consistent every week you know can you do anything about it yeah and leave it with them because really they are in charge of what happens there on stage Mm -hmm. and so that's where we have to say okay look i've done all i can and if this gets fixed wonderful if not then this is just something i have to learn to deal with
0: right and you can't like put that burden on your own shoulders because it's not your fault uh and and i I absolutely agree and earlier you kind of talked about uh cleaning up things and so you also mentioned in your piece talking about high pass filters which are my personal favorite uh (laughs) oh yeah um and i just kind of want to lightly grab onto this for just a second I, I love high pass filters. I think you should put them on like nearly every single input if you can help it. And like even, you know, kick and bass sometimes, you know, not not always every time, but pretty right. much every time you can put it on. Uh, and your article says that sometimes you you make a joke about uh, going all the way up to I think it was like 280. But, you know, please don't judge me. Huh. Uh, but, I, you know, hey, you got to do what you got to do. And, you know, do do you kind of take that same approach of a high-pass filter, like, just turn them all on?
1: I, I would say I turn most on. I mean, for example, I know my vocalists are going to need those. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. You know, and, it's, and if you're talking in a situation where you're using floor monitors, you know, you're going to have all that noise on stage, so as much as you mm-hmm. can get rid of. But in general, let's just say, okay, I don't, I want it on my my vocalists. But as far as that whole, you know, 280 range, how high do you go? I find it comes down to this, and that is when I first started mixing on analog, and I definitely think there was a huge benefit in mixing analog first, and that was on that uh, Mackie console, it was high-pass filter was a a button. So you either had it or you didn't, and I think it was either 80 or maybe 100 hertz. Mm -hmm. And so that was it. And so moving into the digital realm, it's very easy to go, okay, if I grew up always saying it's fixed at 100, then I'm going to roll it to a hundred and stop there. Mm-hmm. And with digital, it gives us the option to be much more creative mm-hmm. and precise. Yes. And so when I said the two eighty, you know, I I haven't rolled two eighty in a while. Right. Um, I haven't bowled two eighty in a long time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but it is the idea of look, take it to that normal range where you expect it. Let's just say on mm-hmm. a, a vocal, and then roll it past and say. You might find out that the 100 is exactly where you need it. You yeah. might find, oh, hey, 180 is better. But I would tell people, look, push it as high as you want to go. The best thing that you're going to hear is you're going to hear when the result is bad. Because when you know it's bad, then you know what bad sounds like. Yeah. And you can roll roll back and go to, to something good. But I think definitely for beginners, they get this, this point where they're afraid to push things a little too far. Yeah, yeah. But that's where the education comes from.
0: Yeah, I I absolutely recommend just in not just high pass filtering or EQ, but kind of all things. I encourage all of my students to like go way too far to because you have to find where that point is. Otherwise, you have no idea. You could stop at some arbitrary point and think, I guess this sounds good. But little do you know, pushing it 2% harder would make it sound even better. And you just have to find that that point where it's way too far so you know to, to roll it back and i do that a lot with the high pass filters so i'll say like all right you know put on your headphones solo the channel this is this is one filter you can you know kind of remove from context if you want while you're eqing right and slap that high pass filter on and roll it up until you start to hear like a really like audible change in the in the timbre of the instrument or the input and then roll it back and find that kind of sweet spot where it's You're definitely not hearing as much rumble and stage noise, but you're not taking away from the instrument. That's always, then you're good. Then you can take off the headphones and continue uh, along.
1: I remember one time um, I was mixing somebody's vocal and it was, what was it? It was like maybe the, the fourth Sunday of the month, the youth band would perform. And let's just say at that church, that youth band was, intentions were good, but the, um, Talent level was not there,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and <laughs> I, think, I
0: think some of the listeners can probably relate to that.
1: Yeah, but I loved them because they were up there and they were they were trying their best. And there was one particular singer that had uh, a uniquely nasally, high pitchy sort of voice. Mm-hmm. And when I mixed him, I just didn't like where what I was getting. And for some reason, I just I did something with the low end or the low mids. And I just totally knocked out everything mm-hmm. just for fun, just to see what I would get. Yeah. And all of a sudden it had almost like this telephone effect. So people don't realize that if you're talking on the telephone, you're not hearing a whole range of frequencies right. because of everything that has to get passed through. It's a, it's a smaller band, but all of a sudden it gave that whole song a really cool feel. So, you know, sometimes it's, you get a, a result that sounds bad. And other times it's like, Oh, Hey, wait, that's new. And let me go with that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, experiment. I always encourage people to go out, especially like a, if they have like a rehearsal day, go crazy, like save, save your scene or take a picture of your knobs. If you're on analog, know where you're sitting at and then just go mess it up. Like see what happens. Mm -hmm. And I know like I try to provide a safe place for them when I'm teaching them, like I promise, like you're not going to break this, go to town. It's going to be fine. Let's see what happens. I mean, you never know. So,
1: Yeah. And if you got a band that's on in-ears, then most of what you do, they're not going to hear. Right. Uh, the only exception I will make to that is one time I was, this was I think when I was first using gating on an acoustic guitar just to get more of a percussive sound to it. Mm-hmm. And I was doing that thing where you, you kind of push it be- beyond its limits to right. figure out exactly where you want to go. And the worship guitarist just stopped and he just kind of looked down at his guitar like, what is this doing? And I just went, okay, sorry. (laughs) That was my fault. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Oh man. Gates can be, gates are finicky. Like we could talk about gates just like on an episode by themselves. They're just, they're (laughs) awesome and horrible and finicky. And yeah, I I get that. I I love experimenting and kind of seeing where I shouldn't go. Uh, Right. You know, sometimes it's in the privacy of my of my office, uh, where I go and start weird <laughs> things without the judgment of others. And sometimes it's just like on the fly because I'm feeling good. So as we kind of go down, <clears throat> you also talk about volume balancing, which, you know, dare I say is actually the mixing part of mixing. Right. So I, I kind of mentioned earlier, I was in uh, Atlanta not too long ago and I taught an hour breakout on just like balance in audio. It's all about kind of a moving mix. I I don't like to set it and forget it. And I don't like people who just sort of literally set it up and like walk away or they sit on their phone after sound check. They're not reevaluating what they're doing. And as I said earlier, context is everything. Every mix is different. The musicians are different. The vibe is different. How do you approach balancing your mix?
1: So during rehearsal, during practice, I'm going to try to go for setting my mix pretty solid. We have a technical run through, excuse me, just because we do full lighting video. Mm -hmm. So technical run through enables us to make sure our camera shots are good. Lighting cues make sense. All that's good. So when I check my mix at technical run through at that point, I shouldn't have to change anything Mm -hmm. because I I know it's pretty much established at this point. Everybody, the vocalists have warmed up voices. Everybody's good. But I know as soon as people walk into the room, as soon as that congregation fills up those seats, that's going to change. Yeah. The room acoustics. Mm-hmm. So I know I'm going to have to change things a little bit. But then also I know look, if maybe the band's going to play a little different. Maybe people are going to maybe all of a sudden for this song the congregation sings louder because it's an it's an oldie but a goodie that everybody mm-hmm. knows.
0: It's oceans.
1: Exactly. <laughs> uh, and and now I have to bring up you know the the volume of 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 the band or maybe what I'll decide to do is actually bring down some of the band and let that congregational voice kind of echo out. Mm -hmm. And and there's, because there's this, the strength and the power of that. Right. So to, to me, I tell people, look, mixing is for a moment. Think of the best concert you ever went to. Okay. You know, I don't care if, I mean, I used to go to Jimmy Buffett concerts all the time and some were better than others. It was the same band, it was the same everything, but there are so many things that make it different. So when you you're mixing a single service, imagine that service as a single moment. And you want to make that moment as, I guess in a way, memorable. And this is I always I don't want to tangent off here, but this Mm -hmm. is kind of where you get into that whole pro versus church audio and people say, well, you know, God's going to meet people if they want to be met or not. And it's like, yeah, but you know what, if you're cranking out feedback, if the music sounds horrible from this coming out of the mix people can't just make make that connection as they should yeah absolutely So, so what I mix yeah it's a lot of just trying to to feel the room see what they're into and and go from there
0: so do you look for anything in particular or listen for anything in particular and are you kind of listening and moving throughout the service or do you sort of uh, you know, I don't know how much, how often your musicians change out, but do you feel like you know them well enough and their music well enough? You said you're there during rehearsals as well, uh, which is super important. Uh, do you feel like you know them that you can anticipate what they're doing and and mix thusly? Or do you know where you're headed when you step up to the board?
1: Yes, I always know where I'm headed. And some of that's just from how, how tight the band is. It's also from working with the band, even though we have multiple musicians that change out uh every, every couple of weeks or so. Mm -hmm. I've worked with them all well enough that I know how they play. Um, you know, different drummers play different. So I know how to, to work things that way. When it comes down to it though, so much, of it is just, it's like feeling the room. Uh, I've talked to people about, they're like, Oh, I don't know how loud it should be when I mix. And you ask the big question, Mm -hmm. well, how loud is it when you mix? I'm like, no, you can't ask that question because there's so many variables that come in. I said, but for me, I have to know for my particular con- congregation, how do they show that connectedness of music, or even connectedness as far as when the pastor is speaking. Mm. You know, there's a difference between leaning in to hear and leaning in to be engaged. Yeah. So if I can set my volume based on that, then that's great. Same with the band for me in my congregation. I watch how many hands are raised. If if there's none, <laughs> then I might look at my mix and go. Okay, yeah. what am I missing? Or if there's a, I mean, but at the same time, if there's a lot, it could be what I'm doing. It could be the song. It could be something that's happened that day. It's really just feeling the room.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I don't think there's there's any good way to to almost, like, scientifically write down why that is.
0: I mean, you could. It would just be so much work and not worth it at all, <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, that's that's excellent. Thank you. Uh, so I've got two. I have two kind of final questions for you. Uh, and we could easily just like go off on complete tangents with either of these. So, uh, which would be fine. Okay. So the first one is, you know, what's the most common mistake that you see church texts make?
1: Oh gosh, that's um, a
0: surprise question for you. I didn't put that <laughs> in the outline.
1: No, that, it's again one of those questions of of where do I start? I think. I've seen people make the mistake of setting a mix and then just stepping away. Mm-hmm. I remember being in a, at an event, and the person that was speaking, I could hear the the feedback. It was just right there, right on the. Oh, edge. it's like
0: right on the cusp. It's like it's like one particular note or frequency is like hanging on a little bit too long. Like, yeah, I know that exactly. exact sound.
1: And I look back, and they're just oblivious to it. And my wife has her hand on me, my knee, holding me down. She's just like, "This is not your event. Stay, stay." I'm like, "No, you I gotta go. I gotta go." Me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I think part of it is assuming that whatever you set during your practice is going to be good during the event because mm-hmm. things change. Uh, that's a biggie. I would I'm gonna have a couple of these my oh, yeah. my top things. One is that don't assume that everybody likes your music style. If you love a lot of base in how you mix. Don't assume that the congregation does also.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: And then I would probably add to that. Don't think that you can please everybody because there will be people that disagree, that will complain. They'll say it was too loud, but they're going to be complaining because they don't like the style of music. Mm-hmm. They're going to be complaining for other reasons where it's just a matter of you're an easy target. Yeah. Now, when you do get complaints, I mean, there's the whole idea of ask where they're sitting. Was it a certain instrument in the mix, et cetera, Mm -hmm. et cetera, because maybe there's some legitimacy to it. Are you
0: related to anybody in the band?
1: Exactly, exactly. Uh, Yeah, so it's it's that. And probably the other one is that we've talked about, and that is people hold back because they're afraid to try something. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, experiment, experiment, experiment. Push it because you don't know. You know, it could be that great sound that you want. Is right next door to that terrible sound, right? And you're afraid, right? You'll hit the terrible sound, but you won't find that one until you find the other.
0: Can't, you might. I mean, you have to find that little gem, that sweet spot. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. Um. Okay.
1: are you tell me what's your, what's yours?
0: Oh, the, okay. So the most common mistakes I see, uh, definitely them not not pushing themselves enough and not kind of not finding that space. That's a really big one. Um. Another one would be, um, not understanding. How their uh, signal chain is set up, so they have no idea where their signal path is going. They couldn't tell you like where this XLR goes, um, right? Which is easy to kind of step into um, in a church if like there's not somebody overseeing all the stuff. It it sort of gets cast aside, and the churches I go to, it, stuff either gets touched way too much or not nearly enough, and it's not very much in between. Um, so so not knowing where uh, their signal path and I guess having like a misunderstanding of what a song should sound like or what a pastor Mm. should sound like, like maybe they've never like sat and talked face to face with that pastor. So they have no idea like what, where they're going. They have no goal in mind. They don't know. They're just sort of kind of wandering around the woods until it sounds okay. Uh, Instead of saying, "All right, I, I know what this is. I know when I'll get there. Um, I may not know the journey, but we're going to start moving some pieces, and and we'll get there."
1: That's an excellent point. Uh, I I tell people that with acoustic guitars. I said, "You think you're mixing what they're sending you, but first go up and listen to them play on stage. All I gotta do is stand a few feet mm-hmm. away and listen to the sound that's coming out, because that's what they're hearing, what they expect here."
0: Right. We're. I mean, we're trying to remain as transparent as possible. Just Our jobs is to amplify uh, and balance. And so I don't, it's not my job to impart myself uh, onto the instruments or the music or whatever. Uh, It's my job to accurately recreate what they're doing. So uh, yeah, those, I think those are some pretty common mistakes I see. And to end, I, I really love hearing everybody's (laughs) stories about this, but what is the funniest or weirdest thing uh, you've seen happen during a service or a rehearsal?
1: The one that immediately pops in my mind was one that happened early on. Uh, it it was so sad and bad and funny at the same time. I happened to be sitting in a congregation. It's one where I mixed at. It wasn't my week, but I had to sit there and bury my face in my hands mm-hmm. with my with my hands on my knees. Because of the whole scenario. And, and I, I knew my sound guy was absolutely stuck. I knew he could do nothing. And, and that was kind of the funny part about it. But the sad part was actually going on on stage. And that was right before the service. I'm talking like 30 seconds before. Mm-hmm. In walks, a visiting missionary and his wife. Mm-hmm. We knew they'd be he'd be a guest speaker. No problem. All taken care of. But then his wife says... I'd love to play to sing a song for the congregation. Uh, and they're both they're both African. They're both beautiful lovely people. Mm-hmm. She has the most amazing voice, but it's the softest of any singer I've ever heard. So she says, "Here's the here's the tape. Here's the cassette tape." Uh, he, and he's handed a, a blank cassette tape. So he's got no time to prep with it, no time to check it.
0: Uh, I'm getting anxious.
1: She goes up to sing. Okay. So, here's what I see. I see a woman on stage in her beautiful African garb who appears to be emotionally lip-syncing to a very old hymn from the 70s because it wasn't an accompaniment track. The lead vocal was on it. Uh, She was thinking that he'd be able to crank her voice louder to to overcome that. However, because her voice was so soft, uh, whenever he would try to kick up the gain, it would feedback. Oh
0: no. Oh
1: my. So, God. it's watching that on stage, looking at him in the back of the booth and just going, "Okay, I I feel bad for her, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but for him this is hilarious."
0: Yeah. Oh gosh. Oh man.
1: But how about you? I'm sure you've got your stories.
0: Oh. Oh yeah, I do. Um Man, I, I I actually didn't even think about this uh, prior to asking you. Um,
1: all right, I'll let you think a minute, and I'll bring up another one. Okay, and that was I think one that we've a lot of us have seen is when our drummer goes on in ears, and when they stand up and forget to take the in ears out, and all of a sudden take half the cymbals <laughs> oh, with them. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's always a fun
0: one. Okay, all right, I did think of one in the ten seconds you were t- you were talking. <laughs> uh, okay, so. Um, this was a couple of years ago, and a, a worship leader was not leading worship at this particular like midweek service, but they were there. They were playing guitar, electric guitar, and somebody else was leading. We had a full band. It was super great. Um, I could tell it was going to go a little sideways because this worship leader was clearly like uh, either very stressed out or oh. was like... Trying to like keep a really tight grip on everything instead of just letting everybody do their job. It was like, uh, it was was too much, too much controlling. Um, So the music starts, everything's fine. Uh, This worship leader who is playing electric guitar gets so into it. And I don't know if he's jumping up and down to get some (laughs) of the energy out. That's totally fine. But as he's jumping and kind of like wailing on this guitar, uh, his wireless pack to his guitar slips off of his belt and rips it out <laughs> of the guitar. So he's jumping up and down. Oh. <laughs> Everything, like, the it's this huge pop, like, it's... And he's oh, just, yeah. I don't think he does. He doesn't notice right away. It's just But there's, like, there's oh. no way the guitar is in his ears anymore. <laughs> so, uh, and so he just keeps jumping. And we're, like, in the back, like, you know, waving our hands, like, what's going on like what are you do- like what what is <laughs> happening right now uh, and you see him kind of like uh, scramble around and try to find the pack that had rolled off someplace and try to put it back in and I was like I, I was you know like mute the channel like he's gonna plug it in and we don't like that's gonna be loud uh, and it was just a it was a fiasco and it was hilarious and i'm I still laugh about it today
1: gosh a friend of mine told me once he said yeah we've got a guest speaker comes in and he's the the preacher for the day and about halfway through his wireless mic goes. And I signal to him to grab the wired (laughs) right next to him. Yeah. And he's really confused and I keep pointing to it. Yeah. And he's not getting it. He said, so finally I walk out of the booth, walk right up the middle of Mm -hmm. the congregation, walk up on stage, grab the mic and hand it to him.
0: It's just like every, yeah, everybody feels bad in that situation.
1: Yeah. Oh my god. It it has been so wonderful to talk to you. I think I'm definitely gonna have you on my podcast.
0: Oh yeah, we should oh we should absolutely do that. No, and, and many thanks for doing this with me, Chris. Check out more of Chris's works on behindthemixer.com and in Church Sound magazine. Church Sound Podcast is part of the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network, and I'm Samantha Potter. Thanks for tuning in and
2: have an amazing service this week.